This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to another episode of the Build a Future podcast. Very happy today to have Brian Kaplan here. He specializes in the residential sector, mainly catering to residential contractors. And I'm really happy because I really want to nail down why it's so imperative and why it's needed to have a systemized process for your business. Brian, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to this point? For sure. Thanks, Rahul, for having me on the podcast, first and foremost. And yeah, what I'm doing kind of right now in terms of the consulting world after a 20 plus year in the residential construction industry. So I started off as a bricky laborer. That was like my first position in the business. And a few years into it, started my own sort of small general contracting business. Again, all specialized in residential, mainly remodeling or renovation work. And did that for about seven or eight years. And then the second part of my career was working as a as a lead, as a site super, project manager, and general manager for some of Toronto's established and high-end residential renovation companies. And throughout those years, what I've really noticed is I've kind of always looked at things as a process, right? Everything has sort of a repetitious nature to it. And the greatest example I could give, and that is probably good context for people listening to this, is when you go and frame a wall, do you actually go and cut one piece of wood, go install it, and repeat all those steps again? Or do you do each one as a step kind of thing? So do you basically measure out everything, mark everything, cut everything, then install everything? And over the years, I just saw so many people doing the former, which is a big challenge, of course. And so why is it important to have a systemized process for your construction business? I know as we're going to dive into, there's a lot of different things that you need to manage and operate, you know, to have a successful business in general, but especially in the construction world. And without systems and processes, you end up in that firefighting mode, running around from project to project, really gaining a long list of unhappy clients, unmotivated employees, and really just doesn't speak to a reputation that you want to build. So it's been kind of my mission since going out into the consulting world to really help builders out there systematize their processes. So when you first started out, did you do the measuring, the one step at a time is when your very, very first project and you realized this is not efficient. I need to switch up my tactics a little. Yeah, I won't lie. I mean, when you're learning how to do something, which I was because I wasn't formally taught or anything like that, you definitely make a lot of those mistakes. But over time, you start to recognize how things kind of can speed up if you do sort of make it a process. And, you know, we always used to joke that in the residential sector, if you're doing small renovation type work, it's typical that you might say board a project yourself, like you're doing basements or something like that. You might actually do the drywall yourself as opposed to hiring a drywaller. I mean, at least 20 years ago, that was something that was common for us. And the first couple of sheets go a lot slower than the last couple of sheets kind of thing. And so it's because you get into that flow, you get into that system. And, you know, it's all those little things of experience that kind of help you to build that process. So why do you think that people say that experience isn't everything? I mean, how has your 20 years in the industry, how has that given you an advantage with your clients? Yeah. And, you know, the truth is for me, I, I always do say there's no substitute for experience. And one of the big things is I've just seen so many different things that 
as soon as I see somebody doing something, I kind of already know what the result of that might be. And I'm not saying that I'm <laughs> clairvoyant by any means, but you generally speaking can tell when someone's working in a process type of mindset or if it's a singular sort of action or if they're going to go down a rabbit hole that's not really a good rabbit hole to go down. And so I know some people might say that experience isn't everything. And the truth is, is that there are a lot of people out there that have a lot of experience, but don't, I think it's more about their attitude in terms of being able to perceive where they can make improvements. And you can have 20 years of experience like myself, but if you weren't open to understanding how you can improve on an ongoing basis, then yeah, I could see how people might have that viewpoint for sure. Is that when you first started realizing the importance of creating these systems, like in a tangible format that other contractors can actually use in your past experience? Did you find those little roadblocks or stumbling blocks, shall we say, from I guess your bosses or your clients, and then you realize, you know what, this is something that could be really important to people. Yeah, definitely learned a ton from a lot of people that I worked for and with along my journey in the, in the construction business. People that worked for me as employees, people that I worked as an employee for, there was just a lot of great people that I've really kind of learned from. And I've always kind of been that sponge that's soaked it all up and then challenged myself to improve it or to implement it. And, you know, my last position working as a general manager, that was one of my main functions was doing exactly now what I'm doing kind of in the consulting world, which is systemizing their business. And that's kind of the culmination of all these little experiences that I've had over the years. So do you think it's scalable? And by that, I mean, or are these systems really for uh, larger companies that are doing the custom homes or the extensions? You mentioned an owner operator might do the drywall themselves in a basement or in a bathroom or a kitchen. But could these systems actually be used for the smaller owner operator style businesses as well? Absolutely. The reality is, is that I think you have background is in kind of on the commercial side as well. And as you know, when you look at a system of project management and commercial, it follows the PMI, PMP sort of process. And there's all these different aspects of it that don't necessarily translate incredibly well to the residential sector. So similarly, when you look at a large residential construction project versus a small residential construction project, the systems are all the same. It's just that they might scale down based on the volume of what you need to do. So if you only have a few, say, trade partners that you're going to hire on a project, for example, you're an owner operator, you need an electrician, a plumber, and an HVAC person, you're still going to go out and do like an RFP, a request for proposal process, but it's just going to look different, right? You're not going to probably put together formal documents and send it out or maybe use a project management software system and have a whole bid system set up and things like that. It's going to be a little bit different in terms of how you do it. So the idea is, is a, it's all about having a process for every aspect of your business. Again, it will scale down or scale up depending on, again, the size of the business. So why do you think firms don't have systems in place? I think I think most residential construction firms, I'm speaking from experience, have accounting processes in place to, for money, like the P&Ls, the ins and outs, but not necessarily the execution side, or more importantly, the procurement side, the estimating side. Yeah. And it's a great question. I can't say that I don't know how this happens, but to kind of take you back to my experience, when I started out, you're so concerned with so many different things that the last thing you're really thinking about is the system part of it, right? You're just basically trying to almost get through each day and go to the projects that need the attention that they need kind of thing. 
get estimates out to people. You look at the bank balance and the money's low. So you got to get some invoices out. You need to go pick up a check. I mean, back in the days when I started, it was faxes and checks. So, but I think what happens is for me, as an example, like you start off as a small contractor and a lot of the professional companies out there, like they start to grow, you start to hire people on, start to do larger projects, more projects, that sort of thing. And the complexity starts to grow. The problem is, is that as a small owner operator, you can manage that complexity on the one or two projects you started off as. But as you add people, add projects and add clients, what ends up happening is that you just get into what we call kind of the complexity of doom, where it's just like the volume of everything increases. And now that single one-to-one input that you were doing, like I've got to sit down and crank out an estimate and I'm just going to take the last estimate I did and I'm going to overwrite, which is the most common way that I think most builders do it. That system now is broken because it takes too long compared to having a template that's built out that's got some automations into it and things like that. I think that's really what happens. It's really just an evolutionary thing from a business standpoint. So is that the gap you saw in the industry? I mean, with your experience working with the smaller and the larger firms as well, was that the gap you saw? And what was that process like for you to you know, tangibly decide to take that leap of faith in yourself? and other contractors, because we can be pretty stubborn at times that it's our way or the highway, right? Entrepreneurs, what are you going to do, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a gap in the industry. There's no question about it. There's definitely some egos at play, but there's also one of the things that I've really noticed is that it also comes down to a, a bit of a lack of confidence for a lot of builders out there because not a lot of people have formal business training. That's kind of why that gap exists. That's why the system's don't get built at the same time that the company is scaling is simply because no one's really taught us that. And I kind of fell into the business 21 years ago. And and so I get it. You know, I never had any business training or anything like that. And I had to kind of figure it out. The, the school of hard knocks, as we like to call it. And so, and yeah, some builders can be stubborn for sure. But the truth is, is that there's a lot of great people out there that recognize the need for systematizing their businesses for changing and taking taking upon themselves to change their daily life, essentially, because let's face it, when you're working in this industry or really any industry, your work as an entrepreneur becomes personally, it becomes very personal for you, right? It's embedded into your personal life. So yeah, that was definitely one of the motivations for me to jump into this field. I've know so much about so many different things. Don't profess myself to be the be all and end all, but I've definitely been around the block and I won't lie. My wife has definitely had, was pushing me to do something again on my own. And we just weren't really sure what it was. I didn't want to own another construction company. I've done that before. I've run businesses, scaled them and all of that. And it was great. And I, as I said, I worked with some fantastic people along the way and had a really great time for the most part. But the reality is, is that that's just not what I wanted to do. And so I was trying to think of a way that I could sort of bridge the gap between one to many. So not just necessarily a one-to-one exchange, but more of a one-to-many idea. And the consulting space is really one of those sort of opportunities that presented itself. And that's really why I took that leap. Nice. So what is your primary focus when it comes to construction consulting your firm? By yeah. the way, fantastic so, company name. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's funny, actually. I, I'm in a peer group myself, a, a mastermind group with nine other consultants that are in the in the states. And I was on one of the fellows' podcasts, and he was actually teasing me a little bit about it. He's like, you know, you were so boring with your name. And I said, well, the truth is, is that a company's name should always speak to what you do, and it's really what I do. So I consult for construction businesses. So. <laughs> 
So yeah, the primary focus is, it's interesting. I started off fully doing one-on-one consulting with business owners, starting to work with some of their teammates as well. And now I've kind of sort of transitioned a bit to the group side as well. So I'm running group classes in conjunction with one-on-one consulting. That's kind of like what that looks like. In terms of what the core focus is, I kind of work on six different aspects of a construction business. And it really, especially on the one-on-one, it really depends on where the need exists in the company that I'm working with. Some of them have certain aspects really well-rounded, some have and have gaps otherwhere and vice versa. So when we unpack that a little bit, what it looks like is first and foremost, I've always been sort of ahead of the curve when it comes to digital technologies and kind of integrating those into residential business. That's one of the big talks that I give at the trade shows, IBS and the building show here in Toronto. And I've just recognized from an early age, the leverage that technology can give you regardless of industry. And so the first step for me is really helping people get organized. And if they open up their desktop and share it with me, and I see that it's just a cloud of files everywhere, then we know we have a problem first and foremost, because you can't really work on anything until you get organized. And that's really the the first thing where it starts. The second part is our finances. We're kind of working on that in parallel stream to the getting organized, because sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get P&Ls and balance sheets and things like that. But often we just, we spend a lot of time on the finances for a lot of builders, because again, there's not really a lot of financial training that happens when you kind of start that business. You're just handy, you start building decks and you know the neighbor sees you and says, hey, can you build me a deck? And that's kind of how a lot of guys get into this business. And so we spend a lot of time in that. My mom has an accounting background. And so that's kind of where it comes from, from my side. And so I've basically got a complete system that helps walk people through this and helps them get their job costing set up, helps them understand their numbers and their financial reports that their accountants send them that they have no clue what they say, and really just be able to kind of think strategically about the money that's running through their business in and out. It's not just about sales. It's not just about what's in your bank account. It's about looking at the whole sort of enchilada, if you will. So we do that. And then we, we kind of jump into project management. And as someone that worked as a PM for a very long time, very large, complicated residential projects, I've just developed systems inside of that for each aspect of it, whether we're talking about purchase orders and change orders and bids and tenders and all that sort of thing. I've just kind of systematized that process down. We really run through that. Next thing we do is we talk about their recruiting and the retention. And we kind of talk about what does our team look like? What do they want their team to look like? So where's the growth potential there? And then most importantly, recruiting is great, but retention is where it's at. That's the main core focus that we want to sort of hone in on. And then the the last two sections, and I only say last, I don't mean necessarily in order because sometimes we jump around a bit, is kind of that digital presence and client acquisition. So it's everything from what do we look like online? If I go and search anyone's business, I pretend I'm a client or a prospective client and I want to go and look out at what this business looks like online. I want to understand what reviews they have. I want to read through all of their social profiles, really understand, are they a fit for me and are they speaking directly to me? And it kind of dovetails into that client acquisition side, which is how do we sell? How do we connect emotionally with people and walk them through the stages that they need to walk through to become a paying client of ours? And so those are Some sections that, of course, really top of mind for a lot of people these days, especially considering what's happening in the world right now and that everything is moved to a very virtual sort of interface. And so it's something that's incredibly important. It's only going to increase in importance, of course, as time goes on too. So all of these processes that you talk about, do they all flow down to what you call your six core pillars? 
Yeah, essentially, those are the six aspects of a business that I would work on with somebody just based on my experience and pretty much everything that you can think of fits inside of one of those. So the six core pillars or modules, as I like to call them, are first one is digital systems. That's the one where we get everyone digitally organized. The second one is finances. So really getting focused and, and clear with our financial numbers. Project management is our third section that we go through where we talk about everything to do with running a successful project and managing our clients, most importantly. Recruiting and retention is the next one where we talk about team size and how we actually retain great talent and help to train them. And then digital presence is our fifth. So that's what do we look like online from social media to website to anything else. And finally, culminating in the one that everyone really wants to talk a lot about is sales and you know, how do we acquire those clients. And so we go through a series of things to actually help people gain the confidence to go out there and sell and really connect emotionally. So do you call these modules because companies can kind of mix and match as they see fit for their point in time? Obviously, if they go with the full package, it's much better because it's the full flow from an entire business perspective. But are they modules in your mind because you can go in and just focus on one and when they're ready, they can jump to the other? Because sometimes it's not just a, a cash commitment, it's a time commitment as well. Yeah. I mean, I think modules is just a word I, I was trained on. And I think that's just how I think of it. It's kind of like a somewhat of a plug and play. Although in business in general and the consulting work that I do, the hip bone's connected to the knee bone, it's connected to the thigh bone and all of that. So the reality is that they all have interplay with each other. However, yeah, some builders will have more of a focus on specific things. And so that's where kind of grouping them helps a little bit in that sense. Mm -hmm. And with these pillars, have you had any challenges in convincing people that change is actually needed for them to better succeed in their business? I mean, the truth is anybody that hires me or is kind of reaches out for help knows that they need help. And ultimately, it's not really about me convincing them. It's really about them convincing them is really what it comes down to. And in the coaching world, this is any coaches or consultants that might listen to this will know this, that we often recognize that they either don't trust us, which is less likely. The reality is most people don't necessarily trust themselves. And that's kind of where that lack of confidence comes in and that needs to be built up a little bit. So I would say that they all recognize that there's help needed. And sometimes it's funny, we'll, I'll start working with a client and they'll say, oh, no, we're all good on that side. Like maybe it's the financial side or something like that. And then as we, so then we maybe skip that or we go to a different section and then we start talking about something that's basically financially related in another section. Let's just take project management as an example. We start talking about change orders and we sort of start to unpack that, wow, okay, all these things are actually not systemized, right? That we actually have to go back now. So yeah, sometimes there's a bit of, I would say maybe a little bit of resistance here or there or assumption that they're all good in a section. But I think ultimately for me, it's about helping people really see themselves in their own business and help them improve in their own business and kind of taking that ego. And there's some shame in there as well. It gets mixed in from an emotional level, I think. And I think it's really hard for people to ask for help. The truth is, is that you can kind of go at it your own and spend 20 years learning all the lessons the way I did, or you can use somebody's experience to sort of leverage your own position. I feel a little differently because I think us as business owners, we have to almost see that data in your face. Is that why you say that the one fundamental is that project and business success is scientific? Absolutely. It really just comes down to this. Here's a great example. Let's look at your sales pipeline. If you did 10 projects over last year, 
And from those 10 projects, to get those 10 projects, I should say, you had, let's just say the top of this whole sort of funnel, sales funnel, you had a thousand people that reached out. Maybe a hundred people were people that you had conversations with. 50 people were people that you met in person. 20 people got to a contract stage and 10 people signed a contract, whatever it is. It's scientific, right? Ultimately, if you want 20 jobs, you have to factor in a margin error, but you basically have to double the top of that funnel. And that's just a very simple example, painting with a broad brush, of course. But the reality is, is that if you look at the world from that lens, if you understand that there's ingredients to this pie that you're baking, if you double the ingredients, you should double effectively the results. Now, again, there is always a margin of error. It doesn't necessarily scale in, in multiples and things like that, but it is very much a repeatable type of and scientific type of approach. I'm really curious about something you mentioned earlier when you mentioned uh, emotions. How do you coach contractors to set aside their emotions? Because they're working in people's homes or for people's homes, and that's a very personal space. And emotions can run pretty wild on their side. And the worst thing that can happen to a contractor is get defensive and take it personally. Yeah. And I think it really is a tough, it's a great question. And I think it's a tough part of the business. Probably one of the toughest aspects of working in the residential sector is managing clients and their expectations. But it, it really comes down for me, when we talk about, again, systematizing the process, it talks about, we can either treat the effect, which is a client that's upset and starts needing something from you, or we can go back to the cause. And for me, the cause is all about the expectations we set at the outset. And the reality is in that, you know, you asked earlier about why isn't experience or could experience not be sort of everything. The reality is, I'll tell you, this is one of those areas that helps you immeasurably as time goes on and you just deal with so many different types of personalities, you start to be able to draw on those past experiences and be able to handle those challenges just in a different way. And I go through communication workshops with companies that I work with and we unpack, again, client filter kind of stuff and help them understand what a client's really feeling and again, those chess pieces, what can we say to actually change that perspective? And so, you know, something that's a little bit tactile that people can take away from this is a fellow that I know here in Toronto who works as, I think, a GM as well for another residential renovations company. He had this great line and I kind of stole it. So I told him I was stealing it, but he kind of said, you know, when I get to a client's house and I've had a crazy day, I've got 10 projects on the go, whatever it is, and I've got to go in and meet with that client. We're walking through to discuss paint colors or electrical layout or whatever it is. I've got to stop for a moment, collect myself and drop my emotional baggage at the door and go inside and be the person I need to be for them. And that was such a great line that rung true for me from my own experience and something that I've really sort of impressed upon the people that I work with is that you've got to be able to detach yourself from it and understand that the people that you're working for, it's like they're an engineer sitting in the front cabin of a train and the train is going down the track. They're pulling every single lever and they can't find the brake. They just don't know which one the brake is. And it feels like it's out of control. And ultimately, that's how a lot of your clients feel. The truth is they may not tell you that, but that's exactly how they feel because they don't quite understand what it is that you do. You know, they don't quite understand the construction process. Maybe they've seen it on TV or they've had friends and family that have renovated or whatever it is. But until they go through it themselves, they don't really understand what it is. And so ultimately, they're just grasping when they want to pay for their own materials and bring tile to the site instead of you purchasing and supplying it. When they want to install floors or do some demo to try to save costs, 
they are trying to control something that is uncontrollable from their side. I think once you look at it from that perspective, that's kind of, again, that client filter, right? Let's think about what are their fears? What are their pains? And let's speak to that and help them understand that we're on the same side as them. We're not trying to fight them or we're not trying to create any chaos in their lives. We're trying to actually smooth it out. Yeah. And I think the worst thing companies can do is start lowering their cost, not lowering, giving back money to the client because they're upset, either a reduction in change orders or you're not happy with this. Okay. I'll lower this because that's a never ending rabbit hole that you go down and it's forgotten too. Yeah. It's a huge topic. There's no question about it. But ultimately, the concept of unbillable work is something that unfortunately is present in building, especially today. I would say that it's always been there. But I feel like as time has gone on and our business has been more and more commoditized in actual multimedia like TV and things like that, I think that people have really started to question things a lot more. And there's definitely the level of transparency that a lot of builders will show now in terms of costing and all this has increased too, which opens up a that rabbit hole of, well, it was estimated as this. Why is it like this? And so I think there's definitely some challenges there. It's probably too hard to answer that question in, in, a, in, a, <laughs> no, in, a, in a couple of minute segment. But yeah. the truth is, yeah, there's. I agree with you completely. There's definitely a lot of risk when you start to open up Pandora's box there on crediting back money and things like that. Because it just, from a client expectation, it's actually, it, psychologically, it changes how they look at you and the project for the rest of the time. I couldn't agree with you more. What is one of the biggest opportunities you think a residential company could have by implementing, if not all six, a few of them? Or what are some tangible benefits you think? Like freedom of time, freedom of money. There's a ton of freedoms that can be had. Yeah, that's probably the biggest one. And I'll be honest with you, throughout my entire career, part of why I kept, I would work for two or three years in a company, I would learn a whole bunch of things. When I felt like I was at a place where I wanted to move on, like I would move on. And I think ultimately for me, I just recognize that there's so much advancement that you can do. And so when you talk about opportunities for builders, the truth is, is that it's all about differentiation, right? And being able to speak confidently to processes that you have in place and more importantly, have past clients actually speak highly of you and how organized and process oriented you were and things like that. And really taking what's otherwise is a really chaotic experience for a lot of people and making it as streamlined and as smooth as possible, I think is one of the greatest opportunities on the personal level for any builders listening to this. If you are running around with a two pound fire extinguisher and just putting out fires on every single project constantly day in, day out, and you're never working in any proactive type of things like your sales funnel and your marketing and your website. I mean, I can't tell you how many builders come to me and say, hey, I need a new website. I mean, it's just amazing how that is their digital storefront. That's where everyone learns about them, yet it's probably one of the worst put together things. And so if that is you, then putting systems in place, and it doesn't have to be this all or nothing scenario. And what I mean by that is, you don't have to get overwhelmed thinking, yeah, I need to put systems in place and how am I going to find the time to do this and all of that. It's really a step-by-step -step and a slow process to get these things implemented. But yes, you do get that freedom, right? You do start to see that freedom open up. And it's kind of like for me, as I grew in seniority in the different companies that I had worked for and moved from company to company kind of thing, one of the things that really happened for me is that I had more autonomy. I had more flexibility in my schedule. And that was something I really gravitated towards being someone that had been a builder for a long time or was a builder with like those constant phone calls and those constant firefighting moments and things like that. Those are things that I desperately was trying to get away from. And, and 
putting systems in place in your business will definitely help to do that. Right. So do you feel some of the construction softwares out there, do they do they help? Because I know I've looked at a few on the commercial side and they can be pretty overwhelming. They've got a lot of the modules to them, like the health and safety, the tendering, just like yours. Do, do you find that they actually reinforce your six pillars? It's a another great question and a big topic. I think that there is a lot of controversy in this one simply because when it comes down to it, a lot of builders, like you said it before, some builders can be, of course, pretty stubborn and, and things like that. And I think a lot of builders will say, look, I've had this notebook system that I use for the past 25 years. It's always done me well. Why do I need to sign up for a project management software or this, that, whatever? And the truth is, is that my personal opinion on technology is that, yes, it can definitely add a lever in any business, but especially in construction. But the one most important thing that everyone should know that I would recommend is that you have to basically layer with scale and you have to only take on as much at one point that the end users, which is your team, are going to actually use and integrate. So I think far too often business owners look at the platforms out there, they get sold by the SaaS companies that are providing these as this is the latest and greatest thing. This can do this, 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 and this, and that's great. And I'm not saying that those programs can't do that. However, there's a lot of energy that has to go into those programs to get the result out that you want. And I think ultimately, business owners, they are excited and, and attracted to it, but you have to consider the end users. If you have on-site carpenters and site supervisors and project managers and things like that, and people like that, I should say, in those positions, you have to get them to adopt it. Otherwise, it's pretty much useless for signing on with that. So I think there's a lot of great opportunities out there, a lot of great tech platforms out there. It seems like every day I'm getting a new pitch from somebody in my email inbox of a new app that they've developed and it's going to revolutionize this or do that. And I'm not trying to pick on any of the SaaS companies out there. I'm, I'm friends with a, a bunch of them and I support a bunch of platforms out there. I just think that it's important for business owners when you're evaluating these platforms is to really just consider what problem it's solving for you. Is that the most important problem? And you've got to get your team to buy in because otherwise it's not going to actually do anything for you other than really probably slow you down. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think on our second episode, I had a gentleman from uh, Sean, his name is Sean Ticknor from California, who started a, a not-for-profit teaching trade skills to high school students. Because I find everywhere in the world, trade skills are at a premium. Uh, they're scarce. You don't really find them. But I think with the rise of technology and that incorporation of technology in the coming years, I do think the trade, like the millennials will start getting into the trades more because sometimes they don't see the value of cutting this, this, you know, they want that tech stuff. I think with the rise of the technology in conjunction with the scarcity of, of actual people to fill that void, I think it's going to play a huge role in the next five, 10 years coming up. What do you think? I definitely agree. And one of the things that I think is a common theme when we talk about recruiting and retention is that a younger workforce will be attracted to companies that are progressive and have technologies embedded into their processes. And so, yeah, I definitely think it's something for the future that's going to help. It's hard to say that this could be I think it's part of the solution to some of the skills gap that we're seeing. I think there's a lot of other variables and factors at play there as well. I love asking this question, actually. And now that you've been through this process for the last 20 years, and now you're in consulting, if you were to go back to that first reno, what pillar would you start at? What module would you want to implement? Like, Where would somebody, if they wanted to start a construction firm, what pillar should they focus on? 
because it's hard to do it all at the same time, as you know. So if you went back, mm -hmm. what would you say is the most important one to start? Well, look, first and foremost, I'm going to say if I could go back to 1999 when I started, I would invent Facebook. <laughs> well, if I knew what I knew today, that's, that's, a that's what I would do. That's a different yeah. conversation, right? Um, I mean, if you were starting we, it today, right? If you were starting yeah, your own company no, today, sure. which, yeah. So we, in the consulting circles, there's this concept of the three-legged stool that is your construction business, right? You've got to go out and sell work, you've got to perform work, and you've got to keep score. I've modified it a little bit. I took the performed work part out of it because it's obvious. We know we have to perform work. So really what we have to do is estimate work. We have to sell it. In other words, close it, and we've got to keep score, and that's your accounting side. And I think the order of that that I just kind of spoke about is the order that everyone sort of does it. They go from estimating to sales to keeping score in a roundabout way. The reality is I go the other direction. I think if you ask me what's the most important thing is getting a handle on your numbers so you understand what your value is in dollars, you know, and being able to charge that right from the beginning, I would have avoided so many money losing jobs that I just, I had no clue what I was doing financially speaking. Despite my mom having an accounting background, I wasn't really paying close attention to the numbers. So I think that's something that going back, I would definitely, social media wasn't around. So again, if I could invent it, then that would be a different story. But definitely the numbers for me is the place to start. Yeah. You know what? I remember the first time I saw a project in the black, not the red. And it was, there was a bottle of wine that was popped to celebrate because you're figuring out the efficiencies, you're figuring out, all right, you know, yes, I can charge this because my guys are this quick and so on and so forth. And you kind of build from there. And the big thing is that a lot of construction business owners don't know what their labor burden is. As a simple thing. You're just talking about your guys or your team. It's probably one of the number one problems in this industry in terms of cost or charging for your cost is just not knowing what is the built up rate and what's the margin on the people that, that work for me. It's still largely misunderstood. Yeah, you know, people, at least in this market here in Ontario, always forget to take into account the matching of the CPP, EI, and WSIB rate. They always forget the WSIB rate. And it's pretty high for the residential sector. For sure. The truth is, is that those are the things that we want to match as an employer. But there's a whole slew of other things that people forget about. They often miscategorize these as expenses in their construction business. And this is incorrect. Anything that you use to put somebody in the field. So whether it's clipboards, it's company apparel, it's fuel, it's a cell phone stipend, any of these things, you know, computers, all this kind of stuff, this is all related to that person. And the best way to think about it is if that person didn't exist, would I have that expense in my company? And if the answer is no, then it is a, what we would call a job cost. In other words, it's part of your labor burden and that labor burden gets charged through your job costing. And this is not my idea. This is one of the founders in this business, Michael Stone, of course, who's written Mark and profit. And for anybody listening to this that is unfamiliar with what I just went through, buy that book. And I do not get any royalties from it. I just support Michael Stone because I believe that he's, he's a pioneer in this business. He's been doing this a lot longer than I have. And But ultimately, yeah, knowing that number and understanding it is so critical. Now to build off of that, now you're out of the industry. So what do you do to continuously learn and stay ahead of the curve with the new technologies and mindsets that are coming out? The younger generations as well that have maybe feel they've got better ideas than you do as far as tech is concerned? Great question. I read a lot is one big thing that I do. So there's always this careful balance between how much you put out as a content producer and how much you consume as a content consumer, so to speak. And so I'm very active on social media platforms, of course. I attend a lot of webinars. I read a lot of things. And when I work with a lot of the businesses that I work with, they have some younger workforces and some of those ideas do filter up to the top and we do unpack those and talk about them. I'm 
haven't really necessarily found anything to be like I say earth shattering at the moment, just in terms of that. But I think that there's definitely as time goes on, the way that this whole workforce is going to change, at least here in Canada, I can say, I think for the United States as well, they follow a similar trajectory to us in terms of like the baby boomers and things like that. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how things develop like 10, 15 years from now. I feel like everything's going to be run from an Apple watch. Or an iPad or, or something yeah. where you can extrapolate the data a little bit. So is that what you're working towards? Like trying to see how technology is going to actually interface or is there something else that you're working towards moving forward? Yeah, I think I'm always keen about the technology. I think one of the big things that I've learned over the time that I've been working as a consultant now, and it's something that I started to pick up on in the last couple of years of managing a larger team, was that everybody hears things differently, they process it differently, and then they act on it differently. And technology is a fantastic thing, but I think just like I was talking about, you have to make sure that the end user matches what it is that A, the problem you're trying to solve, but B, that they're going to actually use it, that they match the interface that you're trying to get them to use. I think that for me, it's not necessarily looking so far ahead on the technology side. It's more about how do we make an impact to every builder that we sort of come across? How do we take a megaphone to this industry and say, let's start at the beginning. Like, here are some tips. Here's this, here's that. And how do we make a difference? And that's really one of the things that I kind of said earlier was kind of going from that one-to-one to one-to-many type of platform. That's really one of my big goals is to, I'm running classes where I have 20 people in them and being able to foster some community and help them all learn from each other. Some people have been in the business for 20 years that are in the classes. Some people are brand new to the industry and there's just such a great exchange of information. So for me, it's really about, yeah, I'm always keeping one eye on what's happening in terms of developing technologies and all that, but we have to recognize that not every business is ready to integrate BIM technology or anything else that I know is fantastic. BIM is fantastic, but yet it hasn't taken off in the residential space because not everything scales completely to it. And so I think it's really key to kind of focus on that. Nice. So it's been a fascinating conversation, but where can people find you if they've heard this and it applies to our listener right now? and they want to know more about you and your six pillars, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks for that. So the easiest place is constructionconsulting.co. So it's a .co, not a .com. That's the website. There's a bunch of different links on there where people can find me. I'm super active on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. So if you just search for me, you'll, you'll find me there as well. Phenomenal, Brian. I'm glad you had you on. It's too bad you didn't have your own consulting business six years ago, seven years ago when I was doing residential. Could have used some of those uh, th- those tips and tricks. As I mentioned, I tried to pull over some of the commercial. Didn't didn't really work so well moving those processes over. But uh, it's been, it's been phenomenal chatting with you today. Same here. Thanks so much for having me. And that was Brian Kaplan taking it right back to the roots of what is actually necessary to run a successful construction firm. We are officially ten episodes into the Build Our Future podcast already. And next week, I'm very happy to share my conversation with Rob Ellis from My Safe Work. He dives into what the youth of today, and by that I mean the millennials and Gen Z, what they are actually looking for with their careers in construction. He also gets me to open up on my journey through the construction industry right from university to today. 